0: Thank you, Kendra, for that ministry of music. In this world, and especially in the church, we must always stand on guard against charlatans, deceivers, people that misrepresent the truth. The passage that is before us brings to my mind the story of the music man. Maybe you have seen that musical, see the movie or the play. It centers around a traveling salesman by the name of Harold Hill. And Harold Hill comes selling musical instruments and band uniforms. He has the prescription that is needed for the town whose young people have too much time on their hands and get into trouble. What should they do? They ought to start a band. He refers to himself as. Professor Howard, Harold Hill. But he's no professor at all. He has a unique way of teaching people to play these musical instruments. If you remember, it is the think method. Just think about playing and you will learn to play. Well, of course, it's fraud, fraudulent. It doesn't work. And, uh, but the townspeople soon fall in love with him and the librarian literally so. They are totally taken in by him and purchased the band instruments and uniforms that he is peddling. However, the mayor is skeptical. And he repeatedly is seeking something. If you remember, he says, get his credentials, get his credentials. We want the credentials. Well, eventually, Harold Hill is exposed as the charlatan that he is. But he ends up being beloved by the townspeople nonetheless. But they failed to get his credentials in time. Well, in like manner, believe it or not, Paul is concerned about false apostles who act like traveling salesmen and who are peddling the gospel to the Corinthians. Notice verse 17. For we are not like many peddling the word of God. There is no more derisive way to refer to these false prophets as peddlers of the Word of God. Now, used car salesmen get bad raps. And uh, probably undeservedly, maybe deservedly so. But let's face it, used car salesmen have a bad rap. And if you're a used car salesman this morning, I apologize to you. But most people don't want to be known as used car salesman. And I remember on one occasion, uh, I went and I was looking at a used car. And a salesman came up to me and he said, what do you do? And uh, I said, I'm a minister. And he said, oh, we're both in the same business. We're both salesmen. I was offended. I don't view myself like a used car salesman. I'm not here to peddle the gospel. I'm not here to offer a product. I'm not here to try to persuade and coerce by human methodology people to respond to The truth of God's word. When Paul refers to these people as peddlers, he is using derisive, insulting language. A peddler in those days was a person who would uh, water down wine when they sold it. They would add water to it so that they could stretch it and make more of a profit. These are people that are in it for their own benefit. They are serving themselves, not Christ. So Paul says, we're not like them in verse 17. But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ. There's a world of difference, Paul is saying, between these false apostles and himself. The question is, how were the people to know that? How were they to distinguish the true from the false? How were they to know who to follow and who not to follow? Many of their Corinthians were putting their trust and confidence in the wrong people, following these false apostles, rather than following Christ. So, what were they to do? One of the ways in the New Testament era that a traveling or itinerant preacher would demonstrate his or her legitimacy was through a reference letter. A reference letter was not unique in and of itself. In fact, it was quite customary that traveling ministers would carry with them reference letters. Think with me for a few moments about some scripture passages. Apollos, you all know that name, was given such a letter of recommendation in the book of Acts. Acts 18.24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus And he was mighty in the scriptures. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. That's his reference letter. They wrote to the disciples to welcome Apollos. That's how many of these men were introduced to the churches. Other churches would send them a letter of reference inviting the churches to welcome them. Paul himself wrote such letters of recommendation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16.3 And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So Paul says, whoever you choose, I will write them a letter of reference so that when they come to Jerusalem they're going to be received. Paul says, I will give them letters. I, I will give them a letter to carry with them to know that they carry your stamp of approval and they carry mine. Paul would even include in the scriptures themselves that he wrote to the churches, recommendations of individuals. For example, Romans 16.1, I commend to you Sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church. He would give her a reference, even in the book of Romans itself. Here is Phoebe. She is to be... Uh, regarded as a servant in the church. Letters of recommendation were commonplace. Reference letters are still commonplace. When a person applies to minister in the Biofellowship Church, there is a process that they have to undergo. There is an application that needs to fill, be filled out. In fact, two applications. And on those applications, there are numerous questions regarding their testimony uh, regarding their financial situation, uh, regarding their medical situation. And one of the things that are asked for are a series of reference letters. We require a reference from their previous employer. We require a reference from a church that they are uh, a member of. We require a reference from a college or seminary professor that uh, they had sat under and we even require a reference from a non-christian because the word of God says that a minister is to be of good report not only within but without so a, even a non-christian we ask them about what they think of this this individual reference letters are important the issue that is before us today is whether or not the apostle Paul should have to furnish such letters. Look with me at Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do we have to reintroduce ourselves to you? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Do we really need a reference letter? Do we really need to have someone... Stand up and say, the Apostle Paul is a good brother. Hear him, follow him, submit to his instruction and teaching. Is Paul really back to ground zero with the Corinthians? The Corinthians were finding fault with Paul, and so he asked the question, Do I need a letter of reference? At this point, a letter of reference is both insulting and useless. It's insulting. It's insulting. For the Apostle Paul, who knew them so well, for them to think that he would need some kind of reference letter. It would be like myself, after pastoring here for 29 years, the Board of Elders saying, you know, uh, could you furnish us with some reference letters? Could, Could you have somebody that would speak in your behalf? Uh, the die has been cast, it's a little late for that. And the Apostle Paul says, do we really need to go through that process with you? Is that what is is necessary? What do I need, Paul says, to legitimize and defend my ministry before you? So Paul, in a metaphorical sense, now is going to drive home this analogy Of a reference letter. And Paul says, okay, you want a reference letter, I'll give you one. Verse 2. You are our letter. You're our letter. Paul says to the Corinthian church. You want a reference letter, you're it. You're my reference letter. And there are eight characteristics in these first four verses of A reference letter and how Paul's reference letter is really unique. It is different than any other reference letter that you may have read or have written. So Paul says, I'll give you a reference letter. You are it. So we're looking at eight characteristics of what makes Paul's reference letter unique. First, it is unique because it is not written to or from the Corinthians, but rather is the Corinthians themselves. Verse 2. You are our letter. Paul, in 1 Corinthians nine two, says this. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. If nobody else accepts that I'm an apostle, Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, at least I am to you. If anybody should know that I'm apostles, it's you. You ought to know that I am an apostle. You are my letter. Paul would point to the work that was already done among them. They should know from his previous participation in their lives. Reference letters are valuable for people that we don't know. But people that we do know well, reference letters serve very little purpose. They don't reveal anything other than what we already know. This summer, we are pleased that we're going to be able to have Kyle Landiak be uh, a student intern with us. And, we're looking forward to having that opportunity for him and for the church. Uh, Kyle is a student at Philadelphia Biblical University, and uh, he is uh, planning to attend seminary and uh, desires to pastor. And so we are thankful for him and for God's call on his life, and we are giving him this opportunity this summer to uh, serve uh, and uh, to be involved in a pastoral internship, even as uh, Pastor Dave had done in the past. and Uh, Pastor uh, Tim Zook and and others. So we're thankful for that opportunity. But we didn't ask Kyle to furnish any reference letters. We didn't say, we want to hear from your professor. We want to hear from a friend. We want to hear from your church. Because we're his church. Because we know him. Because we have been around him. We wouldn't gain much from asking other people than what we already know. And so here it is. These corinthians paul says what do you want a letter you are our letter the thought is how sad it is when people minister among us and we fail to see how they have contributed to our spiritual well-being paul is amazed that they would be taken in by these charlatans who are insincere who are peddling the word of god and at the same time refuse paul's ministry how does something like that happen how could they be blind to what Paul had done? How could they be blind to what Paul, uh, how, how Paul had been used? What was it that would cause them to want to go after these charlatans? Well, it appears it's the manner that they peddled the Word of God, the way they presented themselves, the way that they packaged the Scriptures, the way that they were self-assertive and very self-confident. They acted in a worldly manner And there were a lot of worldly people that admired that. Paul acted in a very unworldly manner. Paul said, I didn't come preaching the words of wisdom of men. He didn't come flattering. He didn't come peddling the word of God. He said that he was with them in meekness and fear and much trembling. Because he believed it was only the spirit of God that could work. And so they looked at him and they said, he's weak and his speech is contemptible. And so they put Paul down. And they elevated these peddlers because they had a very worldly attitude. We need to be on guard against that temptation of putting people that we don't know very well on pedestals and wishing that we had the opportunity to be ministered to by those individuals. Um, there's an old statement that says, what is an expert? An expert is a spurt away from home. Expert, you see. Uh, Jesus said something almost like that. Jesus said, a prophet has no honor except in his own home. Many times, we fail to recognize the abilities and the dedication, the zeal, The commitment of those that minister to us. Especially if they're humble. Especially if they're self-effacing. Especially if they're not into drawing attention to themselves, but rather seeking to draw attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy to take people for granted. And Paul was taken for granted. They didn't understand what they had in their midst. To think that they would trade his ministry for these charlatans was absolutely amazing. But it happens. And so the church has to be on guard. Second, Paul's reference letter is unique because he carries it not in his hand but in his heart. You are our letter written in our hearts. These individuals that would receive their reference letters would carry them. And when asked, would produce them. So that other people could read them. Paul says, I don't carry this letter in my pocket. I carry it in my heart. Wherever he goes. Wherever he is. The Corinthians are in his heart and mind. Again, an old saying. Out of sight. Out of mind. Not so with Paul. When he was out of sight, they were very much in his mind. In fact, if you remember two weeks ago, we looked at a passage where Paul was so anxious over how the Corinthians were doing, he was so depressed and thinking that they may have fallen back into sin that he leaves Troas, travels to Macedonia to hook up with Titus just to hear how the Corinthians are doing. Certainly not out of sight and out of mind. Paul says, I have you in my heart. Wherever I go, you are with me. And what they viewed as a weakness, because he left Troas, a profitable ministry, of which he was being used by God, and went to Macedonia to meet up with Titus, what they viewed as a weakness, Paul says, is an example of how I carry you in my heart. Wherever I go. Paul holds the Corinthians dear. Third, Paul's reference letter is unique because it is made known to all and can be read by all. Second Corinthians 3.2 You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. The very nature or purpose of reference letters is that they are given to people who are in authority. As I said, in the ordination process, we ask men to submit reference letters. And uh, we have a Minister candidate Committee, which I chair. And so our committee is the first to work with these individuals. And uh, they submit to us their letters of recommendation. And I and four other pastors read them. And once we read them, we put them in their file. But they don't become public knowledge. Uh, They don't become a part of, uh, they're not published somewhere. And uh, eventually, when these men are ready to be ordained, we hand them over to the Ministerial Credentials Committee. And the Ministerial Credentials Committee, which Pastor Heller is a part of that, uh, has the opportunity to read those letters if they choose to. They're in their file. They have access to them. But annual conference doesn't. Churches don't. They're held by a handful of people. And those handful of people then are trusted with the responsibility of doing their homework and making sure that this person is indeed acceptable. What is unique about Paul's reference letter is he says, it's known and read by all. Not just the church leaders. Not just the people in authority. Remember, there are people who are in divisions. Some say I'm a Paul. Some say I am a Paulus. Some say, I am of Christ. They had their own little figureheads that they were following. Paul says, my letter is open and is to be read by all. This is not held in confidence. This is not held in secret. It is open to all. You can read my letter. Each and every person would be able to look at the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Fourth, Paul's reference letter is unique because it's written by Christ himself. Look at verse 3. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not in ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. But notice verse 3, that you are a letter of Christ. A reference letter is only as good as the person who writes it. The person who writes the reference letter must be someone who is reliable, honest, candid, have respect by those that are going to read it. That's why there are certain questions on any standard reference letter. You can almost anticipate they're going to be asked. The first one is, what's your name? Because there is never any such thing as an anonymous reference letter. An anonymous reference letter would be absolutely useless. If someone's not willing to attach their name to the recommendation, forget it. You know, file that in a trash can. It's, it's useless. So well, the first thing is, what's your name? second one is usually, how long have you known this person? In what capacity have you known this person? What relationship do you have to this person? How well do you know them? 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, usually graded and those kind of things. It's important to get a sense of who is writing this letter and what relationship do they have to the person that they're recommending. How well do they know them? What capacity do they know them? How reliable is their reference going to be? There is nothing better than receiving a reference letter from someone you know. That's really helpful. Really, really helpful to receive a reference letter from someone you know. Uh, I, it's, it's a joy. Uh, I've been uh, involved with a Biblical Seminary, Lancaster Bible College, and uh, taking courses at different places. And so I know professors at Westminster, at Lancaster Bible College, at Biblical Seminary, uh, at uh, Gordon-Conwell. I, I, there are people I know personally, Trinity, all these places that I've rubbed shoulders with. And it's it's interesting, because when these people come, oftentimes those are the individuals they're using as a reference letter. And if I have any questions, I can get on the phone. And I can call them up. And I know them, and they know me. And I'm saying, now, it seems like, brother, you're kind of, you know, saying some things, uh, read between the lines. Is there more here that I need to know than what you feel comfortable putting in writing? And we can have a dialogue. And it can be very productive. It can be very helpful. It can be very useful. But the writer of that reference letter, they've got to be honest. Or it's worthless. If all the they do is flatter and they flatter everybody, again, it goes in the waste can. It's got to be somebody who's going to be honest about their strengths, their weaknesses. What, what they see is, is, is their abilities. What are their inner abilities? What, what's their personality like, etc., etc. So who they get their reference letter from is very important. Certainly, in the era of the New Testament, to get a reference letter from Paul was very very helpful and Paul wrote many of them as I already alluded to Paul says this reference letter comes from Christ verse uh, three being manifested that you are a letter of Christ that that Christ has worked in you and you have seen Christ at work in you that's our reference letter that's our stamp of approval you have seen God at work. So, Paul doesn't simply bear witness to his apostleship, but Jesus Christ bears witness to Paul's apostleship. Number seven, excuse me, uh, fifth, Paul's reference letter is unique because it speaks of the care that he gave to the Corinthians. This letter does not merely speak of Paul's care for others, It speaks of Paul's care for the Corinthians themselves. Verse 3, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us. Paul is quick that he always gives the honor and glory to God. So, he's saying, what has been done has been done by Christ. Paul refers to himself often as a steward. As someone who has been entrusted with a responsibility. The stewardship of the gospel has been entrusted with the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But a steward is always ministering under the authority or power or direction of another. Paul says, God, through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, has done a work in your life. Our responsibility is we care for you. Meaning that we watch over you. We protect you. We are concerned about you. One of the questions that may be asked on a reference letter is, is this person a caring person? Sometimes it's, are they a people person? Are they interested, involved in other people's lives? Are they sensitive to people's needs? Do they interact openly and freely with others, All those kinds of questions to try to find out how do they relate to other people. Are they easy to get along with? Are they hard to get along with? Are they viewed as a leader? Or are they a follower? Are they someone that others look up to? Or are they others that people find fault with? What is their relationship to other people? Paul says, not just that I am a caring person. I care for you. You don't need me to write to you about how I am concerned about people because you know I have been concerned about you. About you. And as they look back in their lives, they can think about Paul's concern for them. As you read on the book, I mean, he ministered at Corinth without taking any money from them. He did not abuse them. Uh, He labored among them. Uh, he continued to pray for them. There were myri- myriads of ways in which they could see Paul's care for them. In Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, he says this, For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound the glory of God. Paul talks about the many afflictions that he experienced. He's going to build to a climax in uh, the end of the book, and he's going to talk about his shipwrecks and his beatings and all the things that he endured. Why did he endure these things? For the sake of the elect. And so, why does he endure these things? Paul says, as he drives it home to the Corinthians, all things are for your sake. Why do you think I live that way? Paul says. Why do I put myself through this? Why do I go through the beatings? Why do I go through the hardships? Why do I put myself out? It's for your benefit. It's for your growth. It's for your development. My care for you should demonstrate my apostleship. You should understand. You are my reference letter. Six. Paul's reference letter is unique. Because it's not written by pen and ink, but by the Spirit of God. Verse 3, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. The work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Christians is demonstration of the legitimacy of Paul's ministry. Paul says, look around you, see what God has done through His Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I didn't use worldly wisdom. I didn't use flamboyant speech. I didn't try to use persuasive language. He said, I didn't know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He purposefully did not engage in certain things. Life is interesting in some ways. And everybody's experience affects their attitudes towards life. (coughs) And uh, one of my experiences, believe it or not, was for two years, uh, I was a student at uh, Kutztown, then State College, now University. (coughs) And when I was a student at uh, Kutztown, uh, I was a speech and theater major. And uh, being a speech and theater major, you learned uh, things about speech, you learned things about rhetoric, you learned things about way to present yourself, etc. Cetera, et cetera, And one of the things that uh, I learned about myself is that my voice is not particularly pleasing. And so they, they worked a lot with me on my voice. <coughs> so that uh, <coughs> I could have a better voice and I learned how to uh, make my voice a bit lower, a bit more interesting, And a different cadence in order to uh, make it a little more soothing to your listening ear. Also makes it a little more easy to to hear. But you know, I purposefully, purposefully, and maybe foolishly, maybe foolishly, decided I wasn't going to speak that way. Oh, I, I did when I was involved in public speaking for the university. But when I decided to preach... I decided not to use a false voice. I decided to speak with the voice that God had given me. I tried hard not to employ theatrics. I was with a minister not too long ago and was giving me a tour of their sanctuary. And one of the things that they were really Uh, excited about was their lighting system and it was a gorgeous lighting system to be sure in fact it it, uh, rivaled uh, any lighting system on Broadway it was an incredible auditorium they had what was needed to put on an incredible production and he said to me you know he said lighting is everything because it sets the mood. I understand that in a certain realm. But brother, I'm telling you, lighting isn't everything. It can set a mood. But it can't regenerate an individual. Paul said, I came not using man's wisdom so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Not in tricks. Not in the persuasiveness that a peddler of the gospel is going to use. Not that a showman is going to come. Not just so that you hear and are entertained or moved even by the persuasive powers and charisma of a good orator. But God would be at work. But God would be at work. Now, I want to be careful here because there are people out there that God is at work and and they're relying upon God and, and their ministry may look a whole lot different. My point is not to cast stones. My point is simply relying upon the Spirit of God and don't fail to see God at work. Don't ascribe to human methods What the Spirit of God does. Because human methods, in and of themselves, can do nothing. No matter how good the method. You know, some people give you the impression that if you use the right gospel track, if you say the right things, if you say this and they say that, then you say this and you say that, if you say the right things, they're going to come to faith. If you do the right things if you provide them with the the right ambiance, if you provide them with the right service, if you're careful that you don't distract from their comfort by singing too many hymns or whatever the case may be, but it's about methodology. And loads of people are getting rich selling their methodology, their books, their glossy films, their this, their that. Do this and you will grow. Do that and you will be effective. Do this and people will be ministered to. That's what Paul is referring to as peddling the gospel. It's not about methodology. It's about the Spirit of God. It's about the Spirit of God. That is not to say we shouldn't have nice lighting. That is not to say that that there's anything wrong with trying to speak as clearly and as well as you should. There's nothing wrong with those things. As long as the ultimate rest is in the work of the Spirit of God. And as long as God is being given the honor and glory for what is taking place. But you see, the problem was that these men were getting credit for what God was doing. And Paul was very, very careful that what God was doing, God would get credit for. And because he took that approach, they didn't think much of Paul. So that Paul wasn't getting credit when God worked, he was just being discredited when God didn't work. And if he would have been more like the charlatans, maybe he could have had a more productive ministry in their minds. In their minds. But it's written by the Spirit. For he says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You see, we can tell stories a good orator can have you laughing in one minute and crying the next. You can go to a movie that can cause you to cry. You can sit and listen to a comedian and, and laugh. But you go home and your heart is still heavy even after you've laughed. For they can't change your heart. They can't change your spirit. They can't change your mind. The Spirit of God can bring lasting change. It's not like the person who persuades people to come forward. But they only come forward because they've been manipulated. Because somebody may say, say to the person to your right, I'll go forward with you if you want. Everything, you know what I mean? You're almost dragging people to the front of the church. Well, you can drag people to the front of the church, but you can't drag people into the kingdom of God. You can manipulate responses. You can say to a child with tears in your eyes, Oh honey, it would make me so happy if today you would accept Jesus as your Savior. I'd be so proud of you. It would make mommy and dad so happy. Do you want to make mommy and daddy happy? Children aren't saved because they make mommy and daddy happy. Children are saved because the Spirit of God works in their hearts and their minds. And God does work in the hearts and minds of children. We don't manipulate people in the kingdom of God. People are born again in the kingdom of God. And it's the power of the gospel. And we find out in First Corinthians that God often uses the weak people of the world, to profound those that are strong. To demonstrate that it is the power of God. The seventh... Either I numbered wrong or I skipped the seventh. My last point. Paul's reference letter is unique because of the material that is written on Verse three. Not on tables of stone, but on tables of human hearts. Oftentimes people seek to impress others by the materials that are used for a reference letter or resume. People that are spending a lot of time putting a a, a resume together often want to use heavier pound paper, sometimes even parchment, in order to impress. Likewise. A reference letter should should be written with care. I would not think much of a reference letter that came written on the back of a napkin with coffee stains on it. You know, it doesn't seem like it was given a lot of thought. You want to do it right. Paul says, I came not with tables of stone, but uh, tables of the heart. Here we have an allusion to the Old Testament that Paul's going to pick up on later in this chapter when he's talking about a superior ministry. If you remember, the Ten Commandments were written on stone. Two stone tablets. But do you remember how they were written on that stone? It says, by the finger of God. By the finger of God. Which made them unique, which made them awesome. (laughs) Which made them like nothing else that ever existed. Can you imagine these two stone tablets that Moses is coming down off the mountain with? that have markings on them that were put there by God himself. To bear witness to who God is and what he wanted mankind to do. In the book of Hebrews, it says that that God has given us a better covenant. A covenant that's written not on stone but on heart. There is no greater witness to the power of God than what God does in the heart and life of an individual. There should be no greater way to see God at work than to see changes that take take place in the life of a believer. To see growth, development, godliness, Holiness. Maturity. Understanding. Care. I think that's why in our day and age, charlatans are flourishing. Because in our day and age, ministries are measured by numbers. And donations. How many, how much. Not the quality Of the convert. Not about the lives that are changing. Not about the maturity that's taking place. Not about the person's devotion and love for Jesus Christ. Paul says, these things are written not on stone. They're written on hearts. Hearts. Your hearts. Paul says to the Corinthians. How do you know when a ministry is of God? When hearts and lives are being affected. When people are being transformed. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things become new. Transformed lives cannot be had by trickery or methodology. They are solely the product of the Spirit of God. If God is at work in your life, That bears testimony to the reality of the ministry. So, conclusion. Conclusion. What are we to learn from this passage? I think a number of things. First, there is great value in being familiar with those who are ministering to us. There is great value in being familiar with those who minister to us. Again, an old adage. Familiarity breeds contempt. You ever heard that one? The better we know people, the better we understand their weaknesses. You know, the, the opposite of that ought to be true, too. Familiarity brings, breeds respect, familiarity breeds trust. I know my wife better today than I knew her the day I married her. I knew her pretty well the day I married her because we dated for seven years. Uh, so I knew what I was getting into. I don't think she did, but I knew what I was getting into. I know her a lot better today than I knew her then. I can honestly say I love her better today. More. Deeper. I have a greater appreciation for my wife today than I did 35 years ago. because of who she is. Familiarity doesn't always have to breed contempt. When the person that we are familiar with is worthy of respect, worthy of honor, trusted. Paul was worthy of respect. They knew him, but they failed to value that which was important. They put more value on abilities and talents and presentation than they did on godliness. Because their hearts were in the wrong place, their value judgments were in the wrong place. Let's avoid that temptation. The same temptation that Corinthians faced. A marketing approach to the gospel. Form over substance. Methodology over the spirit of God's working. Self-assertiveness Over-dependence upon God. An emphasis upon man rather than an emphasis upon God. The charlatans were to see, the Corinthians were to see the charlatans for what they were. They were to see Paul for who he was, what he had done, how he had been used by God, how he had not relied upon gimmicks but on the Spirit of God, and how lasting benefits were being developed in people. The same temptations exist today. Let's not be taken in by those that would market the gospel. But let us prize those who rely upon the Spirit. And with that, one last plea. When we fail to see God at work, let's not question our methodology, let's question our hearts. Have we prayed as we should? Have we longed as we should? Have we given glory to God as we should? Let's not spend $500 to to get the newest package to find out how we can do it better. Let us turn back to God and say, God, how have we become complacent? What can we do in our relationship to you? Look, to God, not to men. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and for the benefits that are to be included by it. Lord, we, we thank you for the leadership in our church. I think of our elders, I think of our Sunday school teachers, I think of our deacons. I think of so many wonderful examples, men and women, who have been faithful for so long in presenting and teaching the word of God and the way in which they have been Uh, rearing their families and their committedness to you. Lord, we thank you for those examples. And may we value them. May we see how much more beneficial they are than to read reference letters from somebody else. Oh Lord, help us to see what we have in our own midst. Help us to glorify you. And Lord, help us to place our faith and trust ultimately, not in people, but in the Spirit of God. May we anticipate your working. May we long for your working. May we see you work. And then, most importantly, may you receive the honor and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.